Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company, and I'm so excited today to be talking all about the Disney Plus series Willow with Amrachada Patel. And I wanted to start by talking a little bit about the, the boot camp that you essentially had with the rest of the cast before filming. And, and one of the aspects of that was character development and really talking through scenes and talking through the scripts, which I think is so wonderful that there was that rehearsal and character development time ahead of filming because it always makes such a difference and, and isn't always a given in productions. And so I, I wanted to ask about how that really helped you to you know, add a lot of layers and textures alongside the way that this character is written because, you know, you, you've talked about this character as kind of being set up at the beginning of the archetype of like, he's the tall guy with a lot of confidence and a sword, but what you do with that character and what the scripts do is really break down that archetype into a lot of spaces. Yeah, I hope so. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's unusual. And I think it was actually essential, that boot camp. Um, partly because um, the show itself is a quest show and it's a journey. And it's, despite all of the... Um, scale that it seems to have at its heart it is just six people going on a going you know moving through a bunch of landscapes and having to deal with each other and everything that flies at, at them so the heart of all of this large you know glitz and glamour and magic and special effects and fight scenes is just six dysfunctional people um and and that was a a, a really important essence to the show that that John Casanar creator and and uh Lucasfilm were quite, you know, uh, adamant that was important. And so I didn't actually do any chemistry reads either when I was auditioning, um, which is also quite rare, I think, for something like of this scale, especially when I'm going to be um, working with so many um, casts for such an extended period of time. So it was kind of a shot in the dark. <laughs> um, you know, I got a lot of faith in uh, uh, John Caston and the other creative teams, you know, they, they obviously had a lot of faith in me. Um, but I genuinely didn't know how it was going to go. We all met on Zoom once I was cast and everyone else was cast. And that was great. And we all had chats and we jumped straight into a, into a WhatsApp group and all the traditional stuff that you would do. But I think the first time I actually met a lot of them was the read through um, for block one, uh, right at the beginning of May. Um, so it was quite intense, but it was like it was like last day of school, but also first day of school <laughs> thrust together. And then, yeah, we went on this journey and we did a you know, month long boot camp of stunt training horse riding um personal training for a lot of us um and then yeah character research and it was incredibly important because uh it, it just gave us a chance to sort of forge a relationship between us so that we had this bedrock of closeness so then we had to you know weave through these complex emotions and we you know we weren't we weren't nervous with each other and we had this rapport so yeah, I mean, an essential, and and I, th I hope that comes across in the show. I think I think the chemistry between everyone seems like it's quite fiery and alive. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, your character definitely comes across as someone like he's he's very street savvy um, in the world. He's he's experienced a lot of stuff, you know, for better and for worse, and he's experienced losing people, and so he's got these these kind of guards up against getting close to people. And so as you were going through the scripts and looking at the idea of okay, he's very confident in these ways, like he's a very astute fighter, you know, because he's yeah. done this several times before, but you know how what was that journey of of working with the scripts and finding all his different fallibilities you know because even just the fact that he struggles to emotionally get close to people is one is one of those for example 
Yeah, well, I guess the the archetype of the tall guy with a sword who makes jokes was was what was expected of me, and I knew I could do that. Um, and so when we started breaking the character down, I was starting to get bits of information from John and and the other writers about w- what his journey was. That's when I was able to form who he was going to be, and a lot of the obvious stuff was quite easy to me. Um, and I think it was it was a question of you know creating a sort of backstory in my head for for Borman. So I actually bought a big sheet of uh, big roll of lining paper from B&Q the stuff that you put up underneath wallpaper pre-wallpaper you might call it and I just pushed it out in my flat and then drew a massive timeline with zero being season uh, season one episode one and everything progressing was the plot points I knew and then what I was being fed because we didn't actually get our scripts that far in advance we had the first block and then we would get this, you know, two, we would get three and four just a little bit before the read throughs. And so we, we weren't really getting the information, but we were getting bits and tidbits from John and, and other people. So I was adding those. And then back the other way, pre zero, I started adding in things that John had told me, things that I had thought. And so I had this visual thing that I could look at. And one of the key, one of the key things that John first said to me when we were having um, our, our initial meetings about the character was that. Uh, you know, the really tragic thing about Borman is that he probably wishes he had a really traumatic and character building childhood, but he didn't. He probably just comes from like two really nice parents and he probably had everything he wanted. And and it, it summed that character up for me because it was someone who's so desperate, he's so desperate to be, to be a hero in, in the, you know, in the traditional sense that you would expect. So he is a lens for, how audiences view that character. He, you know, he he comes on screen and everyone's like, that's the guy. He's cool. He's got a sword. He he can fight. He's gonna be the hero. That's obvious. And so that bit of information, you know, that that was he's kind of meta in that way because he he's never gonna be that really, because we don't need that anymore, especially in this fantasy genre. And so that journey that he goes on, you know, what, you know, what how fallible he beget he becomes and stuff, um, is yeah, is 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 it's, it's down in part to knowing where he was going and how I could inform the performance by making him flawed. That, that's so great. And, and, you know, I, I love the fact that for him, for, for those fallibilities to open up in him is, is kind of more of a minute version in different ways. So like for mm. the emotional side of him, you know, there's, I think, it, I think it's the moment where you're hugging Jade and it's like, you know, his arms aren't really engaged and he doesn't really know what to do with them. And, and you pat her on the head for a moment. Cause you're just, but it's like, even the fact that he is standing there and allowing that to happen is a monumental mm. moment for him as a character to allow someone that close to him and to physically yeah. engage with them. And so how did you find those details of what does this shift and growth look like for him in a character? Because it's not all of a sudden, you know, sitting around the campfire, singing songs and telling stories and hugging everybody for him it's it's little things like allowing someone to hug them and patting them on the head it's funny that you know what halfway through shooting they, they they cut a sizzle reel together for some of the execs and to show what we were doing and that scene was one that we shot and made it onto the sizzle reel and it's a different edit from what's in the show and it's really interesting because that the button on that is that he's taken aback and he sort of just goes with it and he's like you know this is how you deal with physical emotion and it's it's perfect for that character but in the in, uh, for whatever reason, in, in this sizzle reel that was actually just for internal use, that that moment happens, and he does the he does the the awkward look of, uh, to see if someone has noticed, and then there's this minuscule movement where I actually just lean into it, 
and give give Jay this hug back. And it is, I remember watching it with Erin and both of us were like, oh. <laughs> and I don't, we must've done multiple takes and, and what was right for the show was the awkwardness and the making that, that the joke. But but there was also this version of it where his, his you know, um, this, this masculine, powerful, guarded energy breaks for a second and he suddenly takes on this like elder brotherly role and it was really beautiful. And it showed me how that scene was going to be perceived in various different ways. And I think the interesting thing about Borman is that I, for a lot of the time, I feel like his counterpoint is Aaron, is Jade. Um, and Aaron does such an incredible job. And they're really two very similar characters. They're, they're very talented fighters. They're very world smart. They're not from money, really. They're not royalty. And they both have the same obstacles and they've both done the same things. They both kill people for, for the sake of preventing their own death. You know, they've done, they've done these intense things, but their way of navigating that is totally different. And I think they both sort of resent each other a little bit. Um, you know, Borman probably resents Jade for the amount of respect she has and and the fact that she's done things by the book. And she probably resents Borman for being a lot more open. And Erin and I have talked about this in interviews as well. And we're actually two sides of the same coin. And it's a really nice thing to develop. Um, and in terms of picking those moments, I, I, I think it's just, for me, I like to read the scripts over and over and over again without focusing on the lines. Just read them and let the story immerse itself, you know, let, let percolate through me. And then I uh, then I will start a lot of physical in terms of my process. I'll start a lot of the physical work of how the character is going to move. And sometimes it's not a big thing. Sometimes it's a small thing. But with Borman, I wanted to give him this like lumbering physicality of him being really big and being physically imposing whenever he's in a space but then also to add to this like a performative element of him trying to hide himself but but knowing it's a performance so there's a really there's a really there's a really small scene in the first episode where we get Alora off this horse because she's been following us and then she says I can cook and all Borman says is are you any good but what I wanted to do was sort of like do this like quite jester like performative dance into the space that was being inhabited by Erin and Ruby and um, Ellie and sort of make that move into that scene and that moment a performance. So his like walk in is this like quiet little, <laughs> like it's very, it announces himself. And, that, and so all that physicality is what I was building in the lead up to shooting. And then the words is just something I learn the day before or on the day. And I think about how they're going to translate into the nuance of the movement. And so with that scene on the on the battlements, what I knew about that scene was I was going into it confused. I was taking this moment to impart some knowledge. And I felt like that was Borman feeling like his job had been done. And then what I had to do was then be confused by what then happens when he what is unexpected and so knowing my physicality as the character and then deciding how would i react if that was taken if that power that physical power was taken away from me by an un, you know it's, it's all that kind of nuance is what i like about acting it's not like how do you say the lines it's it's all of that stuff um and that i think shows his his you know his, his fallibility and all these things is, is all these like behaviors that are quiet but also quite big and yeah it doesn't. And speaking of the physicality as well, obviously you also went through a lot of stunt training and, and weaponry training and you, you've you done aspects of that in other roles in your, in your career. But I've heard you say that the, the type of stunt work and the type of training that you had to do was very different from what you've ever done for roles before. So I was interested in what were the aspects that felt very different to you in terms of, of that realm, because it's also another form of character development going through that mm. sort of training. 
And it was so fun. I mean, the main thing was that I, I mean, the casting process was quite intense. It was six months, started in October 2020, was cast in March 2021. Um, ups and downs, lots of meetings. For the main part, I think <laughs> I was a risk because I was completely unknown, but also I was stick thin. <laughs> and I needed to be this big lumbering barbarian it wasn't like an aesthetic thing in terms of like uh you know attractive so it was just like the size I needed to be wide so I didn't know I don't th I think that John specifically didn't know if he could trust that I would be that but I was very I was like I'm committed to this <laughs> I, I know I can do this the physical element is is easy as far as learning the part so I actually had to put on like 15 kilograms of muscle in about two and a half months it was a, like a crazy bulking process so that that was so hard and I've never done that before for a role and I always said I'd only ever get muscly and big if someone paid me to do it and someone did so I had to commit to that um but it's a very it's a very strange process you know putting lots of physical work in to change your body to make it bigger and to appear scarier so that whole process made me appreciate like the nuance in creating physical strength and and becoming bigger like actually just physically becoming bigger helped me inform that character and then as far as the stunt training and fighting was going i mean ultimately we had a month to look like we've been doing it forever so it's intensive and not only do you have to look good at it you have to learn how to do it without hurting anyone so you have to be good at hitting but not actually hitting and then you have to sort of, kind of like a bit like jazz you sort of learn it and throw it all away and make it your own and this the sword that borman has is this cleaver this ginormous ridiculous compensation device um which is only has a one-sided blade so one side of it isn't sharp so it's not like a sword where you can just swing it around and hit it's it's only one side of it does damage the other one's just flat so i had to learn how to fight like with a bow staff because it was such a long weapon but also had to learn how to fight using the sword and had my hand works I wherever I landed the blow I would have had to have been able to turn the sword in the direction it was going so it was all these technical things um which was one thing and then once I had that we started designing the fights with CC Smith our stunt coordinator who's incredible um and obviously everyone wants to make their fights as cool as possible and I did but I also had to feed Borman into that and I was like look Borman is this rogue he's a good fighter but a big part of his character is a bit he sort of accidentally gets away with things and i want to channel that i want things to happen in the fights that might be an accident and i want his style to be not disciplined i want it to be brutish and big and so some of the hits are, are big hits you know it's, it's quite a month you know and i wanted it to be different to what erin was doing because erin is technically incredible and just like destroys people with these amazing and Borman's just swinging this thing around like he doesn't know what he's doing and so yeah it's a sort of create this sort of drunken style of lumbering fighting that was quite messy and it was really fun i mean it's so involved in the point that when, when we did the first couple of sessions with the sword i would swing it and then block and then use my arm behind the flat bit of the blade to drive it forward to make these other movements and i had bruises all the way down my arm um so i went to sarah young and mark our, our leather work and our costume designer um and said i need something here um, what can we do? So we designed a, a leather gauntlet with three bits of metal built into them, which then acted as a second weapon and something to make the sword play work. And having the freedom to create those little details with a character in us, I mean, that's what makes the thing leap out of the, the screen to me. So, yeah, 
none of that would have happened if we hadn't had this boot camp and this training and, th and this incredible production that was willing to work with us to build these characters because those details are they just take someone from the page to real life that's amazing and in, in terms of the di the dynamic in a lot of the group scenes as well Borman is is very often the comedic relief in a situation and um there's actually so much truthfulness it feels like there's more truth in his comedic lines than in things that he says when he has time to kind of consider what he's saying and, and think about it a little bit more and so how did you find that his comedic sensibility and, and that style of kind of sarcasm and humor in him was actually also a way to express a lot of truth in a character like him well, I'm British. That helps. Very dry. <laughs> um, very cynical. Um, I mean, and, and John was also quite um, explicit from the beginning that the Borman was really the sort of lens for the audience to, you know, he was, he's the audience's lens in the show, really. Everyone has their arc and so does Borman, but, but his asides are the questions or the statements that the audience should be thinking about all this ridiculous, and that's such that the freedom to do that in a fantasy show is so good. It's what I think you know. Everyone gets a chance to do it at points, but Borman is definitely there to fulfill that role. But to be able to do that, to to be in this world that is ridiculous and has trolls and magic and stuff, and then have someone fall over and be like, "Well, you know, you should have put your shoes on," and and say the stuff that no one ever says in those things um, was is such a joy. And I think, yeah, every time Borman gets a one liner. The, the you know the real thing about Borman is that he's not funny because he's trying to be funny or well you know he he is funny it's a very you know a fine balance of comedy and I think I think someone like Martin McDonough does it incredibly in Ban Banshees of Inner Sharing it you know stuff like that it's it's these lines are written to be so funny and the only job you have is to try and not make them too funny or not try and perform them as if you're trying to do it for the audience you're doing it for the world you're in so you're kind of throwing this stuff away because it's it's not you're not projecting it loudly for everyone to hear and clap at you're sort of saying it because it's what your internal thought is and it's a a fine line to hit and yeah that was what i would always go into with the with the humor was you know like what's a way of performing this that doesn't feel like i'm doing it for the audience because i think it would be funnier that way and yeah. going back to something that you were saying earlier about, you know, in his in his mind, he's going to be the hero. He's going to accomplish everything. And and there's there's a lot of ways in which it feels like he's very much the main character in his own story and his own narrative. And even the the scene where he's sitting there regaling a story to Kit, and she literally calls him Borman because he just won't get to the point. And then he still right. goes back to telling the story in this very over grandulized way. Shows the way that he's kind of centering himself in in the narrative as well. And so were there certain choices that you found yourself making? based off of that ideology of this is how he sees himself this is how he perceives himself and so this is how he moves in the world yeah i mean the funny thing about it is that we we all really see ourselves as the protagonist of our own story if you don't you're an incredibly selfless person and hats off to you um so in a sense we're we're, we're all doing that and the beauty of this character in this show is that by starting there you know that that's not the point <laughs> um and so those elements of Borman are the performative bits, you know, the, when he's being funny and cutting it's, it's like him just being dry and cynical. But when he's, when he's got a chance to peacock, <laughs> he takes it. So there are, there are times when he peacocks. So the story with Kit is a, a great example there. Um, when he, when he interrupts the fight, when he, when he turns up at the, at the top of episode three and everyone's 
it's like tense <laughs> and he's like someone just briefly recap everything i missed and then he takes that opportunity to do it knowing that no one needs to do that that's him trying to be the cool hero and no one wants it it's fun it's funny it's not funny because he said it it's funny because everyone's like oh this guy <laughs> do you know what i mean like that's the the beauty of it. so so be, for me to pick the moments that were that i was going to make performative and the moments that i was going to do with earnest naturalistic performance that's you know those those that's how i found that divide um yeah i also love that you're playing this character that in essence doesn't have a fear of life and death but has a fear of of certain other seemingly innocuous things you know there's there's a there's a fear of the idea of ending up pet sitting for people or officiating other people's weddings you know that's the yeah. stuff that scares him in the world and yeah. so what what did things like that like his fears in the world did you know tell you about him well absolutely i mean i mean he he, he fears mediocrity he 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 wants he wants to be celebrated he wants to be lauded above everybody. And he thinks he's going to be because he's just cool older guy on this quest with a bunch of kids. And he's not expecting them to be, you know, capable and to fight alongside him. And that's really such a lovely thing about his journey and the closeness he gets. And, you know, those first two episodes, he's an absolute bastard to kit. Like he's he's got crucial information about her father and about and it's that's also the audience as well. You know, he's again, he's got this information that everyone wants to know where Val Kilmer is. Um, and he's just teasing it to her because he he thinks he's superior. So he's kind of a bit of a villain in, in a sense. You know, he's he's a lot more flawed and a lot more selfish, I think, than um than most rogues that you get. You know, most rogues are just sort of selfish, but this he's can be quite taunting. And I think what I did is I countered that some of those nastier moments of his personality by being playful and i think this is like me as a person i'm a quite playful joyous person so with Borman, i was like how am i going to get away with saying these things like i know where your father is i'm not going to tell you where he is now and, and and you know that's harsh and i was like well i'll just make everything he does fun and so you sort of blindsided a little bit and that's due to some of john's amazing writing like when that scene with kit and him walking with the horses starts you don't know that where he's going is I know your father. <laughs> you think he's just talking more nonsense and he's just banter again, as always. Um, so it was trying to make everything playful to those nuggets dropped. And then you're like, oh, damn, he, he's he's not nice. Yeah. And and I also wanted to ask about working with Stephen Wolfman, who was the director of, of essentially like the first section of block shooting that you were doing. Yeah. Because again, going back to that boot camp, he was also involved in, in a part of that, which you yeah. don't always have that opportunity when you're doing television to spend that much time with with directors because often it's switched out. It's a new director every episode, and and so it's very much focused on the sh the showrunner being there through any yeah. rehearsals beforehand. And so, what was the difference that that made for you in in having that really close dynamic that you were able to build with him before you even started shooting together? It was great. I mean, John and Stephen were both there during the rehearsal periods. If John could be, sometimes he'd be writing, but. Um, you know the way I see it, and I'm, I, I don't know if this is always, if it's the same with every project, but the way I see it is the directors are in charge of the sort of you know the visual spectacle and getting their actors to do what they want to do and crafting those things. But the the showrunner is the guardian of our characters, and so there's this symbiosis that occurs where a director is like, oh, let's try this, and the showrunner might step in and say, well, we could, but also know that in this iteration or the, in the future you're going to go down this direction. So just think about how that's going to affect you. Um, and so having Steven there was amazing because I, I don't know if you know, but I came, I come from a technical background. Actually, I 
studied production design as an undergrad and I was a production designer then I became an editor then I became a director and I was a director for a long time so I had a huge technical knowledge of the film set which makes up for my lack of dramatic training and I think the the performative element of of acting has always been in me but I because of that I find it impossible to approach anything without some sort of technical <laughs> uh you know approach you know I, I find it hard to sort of step into a role without thinking about the technical aspects of it as well so having a director to work with in rehearsals meant that I could think about it in a cinematic way as well so one of my first scenes in this my first scene in the show that also the first scene I ever shot was myself and Joanne me in the prison um and it's kind of a standalone scene really from the rest of Borman because he's in a different place there he's been in prison for a long time and he's quite dark and he's cutting but he's not giving that much away and you're like who is this guy and then the next time you see him he's like hey i'm out i'm having a good time um so i got to discuss a lot of that movement and figure out how i was going to perform that technically knowing what the scene required and rather than turning up on set on the day and having to block it and figure out the limitations of her performance i was able to walk around the sets with steven and be like this is where you're going to be shooting that scene and, and so even though i didn't get that in later episodes just being comfortable enough to know how I could use my sets and, and what cameras would, you know, we're going to be doing. I was also really lucky. I worked with Philip Lothorpe who did block three on the third day. And I'd briefly worked with Jamie Charles in a um, episode of his dark materials, which sadly never got finished because of COVID. So I'd worked with all the directors that were coming. So I felt comfortable knowing their style, but yeah, that, that first, block was just you know joyous we, we would sit down and we'd rehearse scenes over again until they were like a play till they were exactly what we wanted them to be and block them out and then then, then when you turn up on set it's just quick because you know what you're doing and and with the character of Borman as well throughout the the arc that you've kind of crafted for him throughout the season it, it feels like he's gradually becoming a little bit more self-aware and self-reflective because he's starting to mirror some of the more empathetic aspects of the characters around him and, and take on mm. little pieces of them. And so what were some of the important choices for you to make as you as you progress throughout the season to be able to create this, this very gradual shift in him while making sure that you still foundationally kept him true to who he was at the beginning? This is coming out after the show's aired, right? <laughs> Uh, I think like episode four, maybe five. Okay. So I don't know how much I can give away, but ultimately, you know, Borm is in a troubled place when you meet him. He's been close to people, but he's very guarded. And so he's decided that who he is, is self-sufficient. And so the first three episodes, he's just on board because, I mean, Tony sums up, uh, Graydon sums up in in a great way when he's discussing, when he's talking to Laura about, why she doubts herself and he's like you know I can't remember exactly what he says but you know uh Jade sticks around because she believes or Borman just wants wants to see what you want to do that's you know he's asking why these people are sticking around it's quite it's it's totally accurate it's exactly what it is Borman's sticking around because he's going to get something out of this for himself and so all I all I knew to do was to just put him in this fray know that any moment of physical action he was going to relish in it because he loves doing it for the most part he was going to hold his plans and his superiority and his sort of machinations as iago machiavellian style he was going to he was going to he was going to retain that within him and treat all that dialogue like that but then i knew that there was going to be a point where he starts to care for these people that he's with and that starts to happen around five and six and from that, it was just a straight shot home because after when I knew that term was coming, 
it's it it works in sort of perfect synergy with the plot of of him understanding and it's kind of what everyone is doing in the show everyone in the show is trying to figure out their place in the world and Borman thinks his place is at the top of the pile with the sword with you know magical armor and all these things and he's going to he's going to live that because who doesn't believe that they're going to achieve that and when he learns that actually that might not be his role in life but what he could be is equally as satisfying he finds solace in that and he he you know and that's that's the arc he goes on and so yeah i don't know it's 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 kind of like one of those things that you like i say i sort of let those stories percolate through me and then don't try and overthink it and really take my inspiration from the words and what the words are going to let me do in a scene and just sort of have these little bookmarks and know like okay this scene is going to be funny but he's also going to give away a bit of information but he's going to do it in a sort of machiavellian way and then in this scene he's going to have a real emotional response here and he's going to show that he actually has some empathy um so you sort of treat it scene by scene um but all these like characteristics are like stored up in your brain <laughs> like what once you start digesting everything you're like oh, i'll just pick up that one for today and that one um i don't think i could have done any other job while shooting this <laughs> if i'm honest like i was fully immersed in it i mean it's you know not method but i was living in wales i barely went home i barely went came back to london i didn't really do anything i just went to the gym to stay big and then went and acted as Borman. And then at home I ate, ate chicken and rice. That was, that was my life for eight months. It's not a very glamorous job. I mean, <laughs> everyone thinks acting is the parties and the festivals and all the fun stuff. It's not, it's eight months in a field in Wales. And I, I absolutely love the intricacy of, of everything that's gone into every single moment that we see him on screen. And I'm so excited to see the rest of, of what you've created throughout the season. So thank you so much. This was, this was so wonderful to hear all of these details. Uh, it's, it's lovely to be able to say them. <laughs> one of the hard, Joel, one of the hardest days was the first week or so we were doing this big scene in the Great Hall where the fights happened. They're trying to figure out the quest and Bournemouth gets dragged in. And I just remember it being this humongous day, this ginormous set, every single lead character in one place apart from Warwick um, and Dempsey. Um, but we had all these angles, all these bits of dialogue to cover, all of these shots to get. And, and, you know, in terms of the technicality of how you shoot something, you do your master wides and then you come in for coverage and then you start figuring out your lines. And it's it's not just three people in a room. It's like 12 people in a room and endlessly changing angles. It was going to take forever. And Stephen came up to me and <laughs> I don't know why he assumed this because I'm definitely not. I'm still the most green in some respects. But he was like, look, it's a big, it's a big scene. I'm, I'm probably going to do your coverage last. And I was like, oh, uh, okay. He was like, yeah, no, just, I want everyone to have a chance and and I know you'll be able to take it. I was like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. I didn't really think about it. And as an actor, your job is to commit and give as much as you can on the day. Like you can't just turn up and, you know, half perform when it's somebody else's close up and then spin around. Like you need to give everything you're going to give from the beginning of the day so that the people reacting to you, even if you're not on camera, can react the same way. Because then you can upset an entire scene if you if you do it differently. I hadn't really thought about that though. We start at like eight in the morning, and and you know, the, I think it's part of this has been cut from the scene because for for time. But initially, I'm dragged in there, thrown to my knees, and like just or something, and then dragged back up again, and then shouted at, and then I do this dialogue, and I give it all of this. Yeah, and I basically did that about 150 times. 
<laughs> for the whole day until they got to my coverage at the end. And the hardest part about it was he had these like one-liners and these funny things that just stopped being funny before lunch. So by the end of the day, I had to do all these jokes and this comedy and somehow make it still funny. And so that, I think the haberdashery thing, which is like now one of my favorite bits, was just something I came up, up with on the spot. There were lots of different, there were just endless like, when she was like, I'll pardon your crimes. And he was like, even the, and it could have been anything. It could have been even the one where I stole that laptop. It just kept going. Like it kept going. I just kept doing endless ones. And the one they landed on was the haberdashery one. And it was just like one of those spur of the moment things. I was like, what's the most ridiculous thing he could be put in prison for? Stealing velvet. <laughs> but yeah, it was, that was born out of having to do the same thing over and over again. It was a very involved process. <laughs> I love that. Well, c- congratulations on the the incredible reception to the show. And, and thank you so much for such a great conversation talking about this today. I so appreciate it. Of course.